You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Attention sports fans. Are you a fan of an NFL team? Would you love to attend your favorite team's week one game? Well, you're in luck. Fans First Sports Network is giving away four free tickets to the week one NFL game of your choice up to $5,000. The rules to enter are simple. Step one, go to contest.fansfirstsports.com. That's contest.fansfirstsports.com and fill out the appropriate information. Step two, find us on Facebook, Fans First Sports Network, and like our page. That's it. Once you've done that, you've officially been registered to win the four free tickets to any week one NFL game. What are you waiting for? Go enter for your shot at seeing your favorite team in action. Contest ends on September 4th. And we are at number two. And as you've already heard from the introduction, it is none other than Cole Caulfield. And none of us are really surprised about that, especially not our guest, Arpon Basso of the of the, the Athletic Montreal. How are you doing, Arpon? <laughs> I am good. I'm good. Glad to glad to speak with you guys in a uh, in, a, in a nice uh, summer day. <laughs> Oh, well, it's it's nice on this side of the pond as well. So so we're happy to travel as well. Mm-hmm. And we're also joined by Anton Rossegord. Yeah. A strong team. Was it two years ago you joined us for the top 22? It's what, 25, under 25? Uh, the years all blend together. I don't know. <laughs> you were at the remember. Athletic at least. So <laughs> I was. So, so yeah. within the last six, I think it was, yeah. I think it was for, for Kotkaniemi. I think I, I yeah. joined you. Yeah. Mm. So... Now that he's gone, we have another uh, we have another guy to uh, to talk about. But yeah, it was a few years ago. I think it's uh, it's been a while. What what stands out with Cole Caulfield this year is really the twenty six goals in forty six games. It's if if you toss in the ten assists, that's perfectly fine. But what we're what we're expecting from Cole Caulfield is the goals. Um, it would put him on forty six point uh, goals in total. Over an eighty-two season, eighty-two game season, if he wasn't injured, were you surprised about that, Arpan? What I was surprised about was that was was the context in which he was doing it. You know, I mean, it's it's the beginning of the season. The team was playing pretty well, was competitive, uh, but when the injuries started to 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 pile up, sometime in early December, when they started to hit, um, the goal scoring didn't really didn't really change. You know, so he has shown. From the from the first day Martin St. Louis was named as coach, he has shown a remarkable level of consistency in his in his ability to score. Um and you know that's that's valuable and he's been rewarded for that with the with the contract he just signed. Uh but you know, there were there's other con- consistency in his game that is I think a little bit more concerning to the Canadians and probably to Cole himself. Where he just needs to round things out and become a, just a more well-rounded player and not be a just a one-dimensional scorer. But you know, a lot of players try to add the goal scoring. They have the well-roundedness. They just don't have the goal. Like so, at least he's working. He has the hardest thing down. Now he just has to add some other elements to his game. But yeah, definitely a very encouraging season. And <clears throat> the variety of ways he was scoring goals too. Uh, I think it's becoming a little bit more diverse. It's not just one timers from from here and there. It's he's 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 really diversifying his ways of attacking the net, and I think that's only going to improve. I mean, he's 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 an incredibly hard worker, and so 
um, I think we're going to start seeing more and more different ways of scoring from Cole Caulfield as he goes along. How much of an importance is it that he has Martin San Luis, a, a short, fantastic player of NHL or highest NHL caliber, um, as a coach that could maybe help him mold into that all-roundness as well? Yeah, I mean, he's I, you know, I, I think a lot is made of the fact that 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 Marty was an undersized player, and that that's why Cole can relate to him. I think that that gives Marty a lot of currency with Cole because Cole always looked up to him. Uh, as a kid, uh, and admired his ability to 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 excel and be a, you know a Hart Trophy winner at that size, but really when it comes down to coaching, I don't think Marty's experience as an undersized player factors too much into it. I mean, it really, um, they're completely different players. You know, I mean, they don't. It's not as if you could say that Cole Caulfield plays like a Martin Saint Louis, and I think that's what Martin wants to, to kind of infuse into Cole is just a bit more of that sort of fiery competitiveness that that Marty played with uh where you know you go into a puck battle thinking you're going to win it and maybe that's where Marty's experience as an undersized player can play a role because he found a way to do that as an undersized player like he knew he wasn't going to physically throw people off pucks but he came out of puck battles with the puck more often than not by towards you know in the prime of his career um so so I think there's, yeah, there's some importance there, but it's really hit just Marty's ability to relate with each individual player and knowing how to relate to that player uh, is a real skill he has. You know, I think there's there's some areas where Marty can grow, but the interpersonal relationship and the one-on-one -on -one coaching is something that he does extremely well. And so, yeah, Cole is definitely a beneficiary of that. And, and Marty brings it up almost every time he's asked a question about Cole, he's the one who mentions there are other areas of Cole's game that need to improve. And so I think we're going to start seeing that more and more starting this season um, <clears throat> with assuming Marty doesn't have like a million other fires to put out uh, with injuries and whatever. Uh, I think we'll start to see some, some adjustments in Cole's game, just like we've seen, in Josh Anderson's game, for instance, you know, his game has changed uh, demonstrably since Marty came on board because of the things that Marty's been talking to him about. And I think we'll see that with Cole as well. Yeah. Uh, do you feel like um, even though you say that uh, Marty is very good in the interpersonal relationship, uh, you know, when it comes to teaching players and, you know, um, yeah, just basically being, uh, yeah, being that role model both on and off the ice do you think that he feels a certain relationship with cole caulfield being uh you know of the fact that you know from the fact from the start that he came to montreal martin saint louis um obviously there has been there was already doubt about cole caulfield after you know a disastrous season with dominic Ducharme, and he took him under his wings and all of a sudden caulfield's um, Caulfield has not looked back uh, after that. Do you feel like there is a s special type of connection between Saint Louis and and Caulfield, or is it just you know in general that Saint Louis is a good kind of teaching aspect coach? I, I mean, there's definitely something special there. You can't look at the before and after and and think otherwise. But um, <clears throat> I do think Marty has that kind of relationship with several players. You know, I mean, it's. I mean, I mentioned Josh Anderson before. I talked to him for a story I did on on these adjustments that that Marty's making with him. So, 
at least once a week, he would spend 10 minutes with Marty alone in the video room looking over his clips. And I haven't asked every single player this, but like he's, they're not alone. Like they're not the only ones that he does this with. Like he really does make an effort to, to get some one-on-one time with every player on the team, no matter how insignificant you are. I mean, you know, Michael Pizzetta, for example, Mm. remember at the beginning of last season when the team was healthy, he couldn't get in the lineup. They didn't want to put him on waivers and risk losing him. So he couldn't go to Laval. So he was stuck in, in waiver prison, as I like to call it. And so he was a healthy scratch every game. Well, every game, after every healthy scratch, I mean, the, the guy who probably spent the most one-on-one time with Marty last year was probably Michael Pizzetta because he mm-hmm. was on the ice with him after every morning skate and spending like 30, 40 minutes. Trust me, as a member of the media who's waiting to speak to the coach, those could those, those sessions could feel very long. But I would always make an effort when we realized what, you know, what was taking him so long, I would make an effort to go and watch what he's doing on the ice and like it's uh, on some occasions there'd be Pizzetta and I remember one time in 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 New York in Queens before an Islanders game it was Mike Matheson Mike Hoffman and Michael Pizzetta three mics but one of them is not like the other two and they were all being treated they're all being coached the same and they actually Marty was making an emphasis on Pizzetta showing him what Hoffman did in a situation and said, you could do that, you know, kind of thing. And so, Mm. so he really is, you know, he has, I would call it um, remarkable optimism for every one of his players. He believes in, in, in the potential of every one of his players. It just needs to be brought out of them. And he really truly believes that that's his responsibility, no matter how, no matter what spectrum, where you fall on the talent spectrum, um, you know, Michael Pizzetta, it would be fair to assume he'd fall lower on that spectrum. I don't think Marty sees it that way. You know, he really sees him as anyone who's in the NHL has a certain base level of talent that they can develop and that they can bring more out of. Uh, and he believes in that for like almost for all his players, basically, you know, and he, you know, I mean, he sees value in Mike Hoffman where, where I don't, you know, it's yeah. just, there's, just, there's a lot of it's it's a redeeming quality of his and it's 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 a luxury that he has because he 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 coaches a team that's not expected to win like my biggest curiosity with marty is how is he going to act when his team has expectations to win that's that's the unknown right now i was just going to ask that question arpon um do you think that he will change like personally from from meeting him as much and as often as you do uh, or do you think that the pressure of, of winning and pressure of Montreal will finally bite into him at that point? I, I think the pressure of winning or the, the the expectation of winning will take over. He's just fiercely competitive. And we saw it on a few occasions this season after a loss where he got angry at his team and he actually let it slip. And actually, I mean, speaking of Cole Caulfield, this is a perfect example. Is is I forget who the game was against, but there was a goal that the Canadians gave up where the puck was sent up to the to the chip guy at the red line and so Gooley stepped up on him um for a hit the puck got past him and ultimately led to a breakaway and the, and and they scored i don't even remember what team it was and so marty was asked after the game did Gooley make a mistake there stepping up on his man and marty said no that wasn't the mistake and then he just wanted to leave it at that then he was asked again, and he couldn't help himself. He said, well, when one guy's not doing his job, 
when one guy lets his man get behind him, the whole team suffers. And that's all you have to say. And if you go back and you look at the goal, the player who wound up with the breakaway was Cole Caulfield's man. And Cole Caulfield was 10 feet on the wrong side of him. Basically, he's on the offensive side of him. Uh, and that's what Marty saw as leading to the goal. So, you know, he rarely, the only reason I remember that is because he almost never did that. He, he went out of his way to make sure he never called one of his players out or um, or at least even provide the hints for you to figure out who was at fault. Um, but in that situation, he did it. So when they're playing meaningful games and the expectation, not only the expectation, but the, the there's a tangible need to win a game, which let's be honest, management never told him that they had to win any game last year. So that's going to change. So I wonder if that side of Marty's going to change too, where there will be some more public accountability. He will not defend his players at all costs. If a player had a bad game, he'll be willing to, willing to say it because right now there's none of that. You know, I mean, there's, he's really, he has taken the positive side of every player he has. Um, almost exclusively and frankly the only the real exception is is Cole Caulfield because mm. he's the one guy that Marty makes a point of mentioning how there's other aspects of his game that need to improve uh that's what say I, that about too many other players yeah I was gonna say that's what I actually think like you know when I what I meant with the question as well that maybe he feels a little bit more of a father son kind of relationship there that he knows that he can push the buttons a little bit more on Cole Caulfield I think he he demands a little bit more. He demands more from him, and yeah. that's why, because he's going to be a star player on the team, you yeah. know, and Marty's been the star player on the team, and there's a certain level of accountability that you have that, not to pick on him, but Michael Pizzetta doesn't have, you know, I mean, it's, or or some other sort of bottom of the line. Jake Evans doesn't have that same accountability, even though he's, he's a very responsible player, and, but, you know, you have to set an example, and, and so... You know, Marty, when he played, uh, was was a very intense, fierce guy to deal with as a reporter. Um, wasn't exactly the best interview in the world, I got to admit. Like, I didn't go running to Marty St. Louis' locker after a game to hear what he had to say. Generally, he didn't really want to talk to us. Um, now, obviously, it's the complete opposite. But it's it's. I mean, I guess it's fair. I don't. I don't think it's. I think the reason he does it with Cole is because it's 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 so important to the team's success that Cole has develops this part of his game. You know, I think even frankly, I think Nick is kind of in the same ballpark right now. I mean, you know, the Canadians are, are a very analytically inclined organization now and Cole and Nick on the ice together, their, their analytics are not great. You know, they spend a lot of time chasing the puck in their own end and, and, entire shifts are spent without them even handling the puck in the offensive zone. And so this is something I think that's of concern to the organization somewhat. Uh, the offensive gifts for both those players are quite evident. In Nick's case, he's always been a two-way player his whole career. Uh, so I don't think there's as much concern in, in his case that he can develop that part and round that out. Um, but in Cole's case, you know, Cole's always kind of been this guy. He's the, the, the sniper, the designated scorer, that's what he does well, and and there's always been holes in other areas of his game. And so now that he has no more levels to climb, 
I think it's a real point of emphasis for 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 the coach and for the organization and for Cole himself. Cole's talked about it and he realizes he's he's aware of this. So it's it's a priority for all three all three of those parties for this uh for this area of his game to improve. Just a quick break. We need to have a word from our sponsors. Thank you guys for turning down the volume and uh getting back in a few seconds for the rest of the podcast. The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. Because we mentioned one end of that formation, Nick Suzuki. Who will be the third part, though? Would that be uh, Dach, as we saw a little bit last year? Or do you think Newhook will be able to slot in there and, and do maybe a little bit more of the defensive work in order to cover for Cole? I believe, I do believe that they acquired Newhook with the thought that his speed. Uh, his speed would help those guys out defensively. Now he's not the biggest player. That that would be a pretty small line. Newhook, Suzuki, Cole. Uh, but I do think that that's going to get a look. I think that that was one of the motivating factors. Is that um, Newhook's speed would allow him to get back uh, on defense quicker than than Nick um, and well and Cole probably. But but I mean really Nick was was because of his experience playing center because he's able to play down low as a result and knows what he's doing down there he could you know he could alleviate some of Nick's responsibilities defensively uh with his speed i i i believe doc will be at center this year um the organization looks at him i mean the thing about the whole Pierre Luc Dubois situation was that the the organization looks at Doc as a center. So they didn't feel the need to go all out in an attempt to acquire Pierre-Luc Dubois because they could have put together a competitive package if they were willing to include, say, a Caden Gooley or or a Doc or someone, you know, kind of a premium NHL-ready young player, which is what they got in Gabe Velarde. Um plus an established NHL player like I follow the Canadians could have put a package like that together if they really wanted to. They just didn't want to. And the, the reason they didn't want to is because they see doc as a really good solution at center. So the other possibility to play on that wing would be Sean Monaghan who played well with those two guys um, at the beginning of last season for a stretch. Uh, you know, if doc is indeed at center, then Monaghan, to me, makes sense playing with Doc so that he can take faceoffs with him, uh, but always a possibility. And the one guy that we didn't see playing with Nick and Cole last year was Slavkovsky. And yeah, exactly. I really think uh, had he not gotten hurt and had Cole not gotten hurt and had everyone not gotten hurt, but had had Slav not gotten hurt, um, I think by I think by March we would have seen something like that. I think that there was always there was like there was there was a plan with Slavkovsky to give him little bits, you know, at first he wasn't on the power play. Then he started getting second power play duty. 
Uh, he started slowly getting more and more ice time. It was it was a very meticulous plan they had with him that he was involved with. He had all the information. He knew what the plan was. And I remember, I think it was in St. Louis, which is when he put, which is when Marty, I think, put Doc on that line. Uh, I remember talking to him about putting Slap on that line. And he was like, yeah, it's a possibility. But really, his body language said that it wasn't a possibility. Um, and the real reason for that was that the type of matchups that, that Nick gets, Slap wasn't ready for. And But I do think that by the end of the season, he would have been. And actually, I mean, not to make this all about Slap, but I mean, I had a chance to talk to Marty at the draft uh, in Nashville on him. And it was really interesting hearing him talk. He talked about uh, how he had gone back and watched games from from early in the season, and he was what he was watching. He was watching for all sorts. Of, he wasn't just watching to watch Slaff, but he said it was interesting when you look when you go back and you're you're removed from the heat of the situation and the day to day of the season, and you're just watching a game months later. How much Slaff stood out, and he even admitted he's like, I think maybe in the heat of it. I didn't see the extent to which he stood out. I didn't see how effective he was being uh, in those other areas of the game that really that that Cole needs to work on. But like his defensive positioning, his his engagement in board battles, even if he didn't win the battle, uh, the way he was going about it, there were a lot of aspects of of his game that stood out. And so I think, you know, I do think Newhook will get a look with Nick and Cole, but I think Slaff is is if I were if I had anything to do with the decision, I would try that because I think he's a perfect, he'd be a perfect fit. Well, he said that himself before the draft, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And not only that, but when they drafted him, they put his jersey in 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 the locker in the dressing room, and they had they had Cole's jersey and Nick's jersey right next to it. And they put it right there. So it's not as if uh he didn't that didn't come out of nowhere, you know. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> the Canadians themselves <clears throat> made a made a pretty cool setup and he like, you know, he said it right after he's like, man, and Cole was on Cole's Jersey and Nick's Jersey. They were right next to mine. It was so cool. And he like, he was, and they never got to play with them. <laughs> there will be plenty of time for that. Yes. There will be plenty of time for that. Yes. Yeah. Going back to the man who should not be mentioned, Pierre-Luc Dubois. Uh, one mm -hmm. thing that also might've hindered that uh, acquirement uh, was probably Cole's and Suzuki's contracts. Um, because he asked for a fair bit more. No, I don't think so. I think the, I think the Canadians were willing to pay him more than Nick Suzuki. It's, it's, you know, a lot of people made too much. I think of of the whole like Suzuki cap that Caulfield had to f fall under, uh, and Kent explained it. This is not me talking. This is Kent Hughes, and he explained it quite well. He's like, listen, these are both players coming out of entry level. They're in the same situation, so that's why we felt that way. Uh, Pierre Luc Dubois is not in that situation. He just signed, I think, I believe his fourth professional contract already. He's only twenty-five, so um, or maybe third. Anyhow, it's 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 not. He's not coming out of entry level. Is my point. He's actually, you know, a year away from unrestricted free agency. The circumstances are completely different. I think the Canadians would have been more than happy. Uh, honestly, I don't think the Canadians would have had a huge problem paying him the contract that he ultimately got, eight times eight point five, which is, you know. A reasonable amount for a player in his situation. Uh, I don't think the money was the issue. I think it was really the the trade 
was really the bigger issue. Um, and there's no guarantee that Dubois would sign that contract with Montreal. It's it's you know we sort of kind of heard rumblings that that an opportunity to win they'd be they'd be willing to make somewhat of a trade off money wise if there was a, a clear path to short term winning, uh, which Montreal obviously could not offer. So I don't know if that eight point five figure would have been acceptable in a Montreal context, but it's besides it, it it never really got to that because the Canadians weren't willing to to give the Jets what they needed in a trade like this. Paul Caulfield, obviously a small player. Montreal has a history of small players. We we love we love them. Um uh, that's Aslan, my favorite player as a kid. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh great player, maybe more of a playmaker though than Cole, even if he was yes. I, I think he told me that in the World Junior Championships, his first goal for Sweden was against Tretiak. Uh, wow. <laughs> that's wild. That's, that's pretty wild. Yeah. And he was on this on the uh, all-star team together with Gretzky as well. So it was a, quite a bit of a good tournament. And, and Lemieux. He set the he set the all-star game record for assists by a left winger. I remember this clearly. It's, it's this is how big of a dork I am, but all-star game record for assists by a left winger because he was riding shotgun with Mario and Mario went went wild. Bonkers. And yeah. I remember as a kid, it was like the greatest thing. I couldn't believe my favorite player was playing with Mario Lemieux. He was lighting, he was getting points left, right, and center. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Mike Camilleri from from you know the the uh, the run in 2010. And yeah. Which kind of player do you think Mon- Cole Canfield will be more like? Because there's always this comparison that we ask and get Henri- asked, especially in media. Henri Richard, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to mention that name. <laughs> I mean, I think I, I think Camilleri is a closer, probably a more more closely resembles the type of player Cole is. Um, I think the Canadians would like the Cole to turn into someone like Brian Gianta. I mean, if we're dealing with smaller players, um, that's, and that goes back to our, the well-roundedness. Listen, Gianta was, was an incredible scorer. Primarily, I mean, he was a great scorer for the Canadians, but he was uh, really a prolific. He was a 40 goal scorer for the Devils before. So it's not as if he didn't score goals, but he was a full 200 foot player uh, went to the hard areas, uh, did everything you could possibly want a hockey player to do, uh, and still had that scoring element. So, and and that's not what Mike Camilleri was. You know, Mike Camilleri was an excellent scorer, uh, not necessarily a two hundred foot player, <laughs> um, uh, but clutch. Nice you. <laughs> well, I mean, it's you know, I, 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 he'd probably argue, but he's you know, he's he's a great guy to deal with. Uh, I loved covering my camillary for sure uh but you know not not the most defensively conscious player in the world um so i think the comparison right now i think is to camillary but i think the canadians are trying to put cole on a path to becoming more like a gianta where the scoring is is there but he's not hurting the team when they don't have the puck kind of thing anton you got uh, do, no, no, no. I have nothing to add to yeah. that. I, I think, uh, I think the same. Like, I, I think that uh, Camilleri is uh, basically what if you get Caulfield playing like he did last season for the rest of his career, then you have another Camilleri. But I think his potential is bigger than that. And I think also the fact that 
during Caulfield's sophomore year at Wisconsin, he showed that he can he can develop other bits of his game when he has already learned how to score at that level. And that's uh, what's going to be interesting for this season. Obviously, it's going to be his second full season, third full season now um, uh, in the NHL. And, you know, coming off a 26-goal season he um, and a 23-goal season before that, he um, already knows that he can find the net. But Cole Caulfield wants to, if you look at interviews and everything, he wants to be as good of a player, as good of a you know, as good of an NHL player as you can possibly be. And and that uh, is something that demands more from him than just, you know, finding the net behind every every goalie in the league. So it will be fun. I mean, he's only 22 still. Uh, now he's signed, so he don't, doesn't have to care about that. Um, he can just focus on, on uh, you know, the everyday grind of getting better and staying healthy. Indeed, and yeah, and he's and he's shown uh he has shown an ability to adapt to every level that he plays in, and and really his, uh, you know, when you say this is his third full season, really this is his first full season coming up. I'm yeah. assuming he actually plays a full season, um, you know this. So and and the number one thing I think that's really important here is that he himself is conscious of the, all of this. And 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 wants it to improve, and I think he has the personality type, the work ethic, the competitiveness. Everything, every part of his makeup suggests that he's going to figure this out. Um, you know, we just have to see it happen, but there's no doubt that he's very determined to 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 become just a better NHL hockey player. Besides the goal scoring. Looking at these two, and and uh, because there are not that many left of them, uh, I think from 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 the playoff run. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, not that many. How no. I mean, you would assume and we shouldn't assume because you make an ass out of you and me, but but yeah. you know, we we should assume that having tasted or or being that close to taste success also makes you drive out of your comfort zone and maybe not being pigeonholed into to that kind of player. And realistically, though, uh, Arpon, what kind of expectations should we have for for Cole Caulfield this upcoming season? I mean, I see no reason why he can't score forty goals. I, I honestly think the bar is the bar is incredibly high. He's placed it that high. I mean, it's, it's honest. You know, aside from those first few months under Dom, every minute he's been in the NHL, basically, he's been a successful goal scorer, and so I think. 40 goals is a very reasonable expectation as, as silly as that sounds for a player, his age. Um, and I would, I I'm sure if you ask Cole that he, his bar is at 50, you know, and like his bar is 50 goals because he could have done it. You know I mean? Had he not gotten hurt, he had the possibility of scoring 50 goals last season. So I think in his mind, he probably wants to score 50. So I think 40s, 40s are very attainable, reasonable, projection um but again not to harp on the same thing you know what i'll be watching from cole caulfield this season is <clears throat> is he able to cut down on the number of shifts that he spends in his own end not touching the puck same with nick i mean so it's it's that to me is the most interesting aspect of this season is what do we wh- what kind of development do we see in cole's game away from the puck but with the puck on his stick or actually in the offensive zone just getting open and scoring goals, I think he's set 
he set a bar for that already. And 40 might even be low. He scored against more or less every team possible in the in the league. Um, obviously, he didn't already. score 30 goals. But, but you know, yeah. he scored against top leagues. He scored against bottom, well, bottom teams, top teams, etc., etc. Uh, would you take a trade-off from scoring in order for his defensive game and acumen being better? I don't think you have to. I mean, it's it's. I think for centers, oftentimes you do you you do need to make that trade off, and maybe Nick has to do that a little bit. You know, Nick has a tendency to sort of extend his shifts when he sees an offensive opportunity. Uh, he, uh, I don't want to use the word cheats, but he he does he does lean into offensive chances a bit too much sometimes. Um, but I think Cole improving his game away from the puck would not take away in in the least in his ability to score. You know, I mean, yes, he scores off the rush occasionally, but generally, uh, or not occasionally, with rel- relative frequency, but, you know, his his danger, like, that'll still be a part of his game, even if he improves his play away from the puck. I don't think that's a trade-off you have to make, especially as a winger. I mean, really, it's just a matter of bearing down when you have the opportunity to clear the puck to actually do it. Uh, blocking shots from the point, uh, dealing with those defensemen pinching down on you and finding techniques and methods to get the puck around them uh, or pass them so that you can go get it in the neutral zone. But, but you know, those are things that don't that aren't going to take away from his offensive game. So I don't think in his case you do need to make a trade-off. It's, it's, he should be able to improve those areas, and it won't, it won't change the situations he finds himself in that are goal-scoring situations. You've been listening to Arpan Basu uh, talking about Cole Caulfield, among other things, on this episode <laughs> of the Top 25 and 25, number two. We'll be back tomorrow with number one. And um, the smart ones of you have already figured out that that one is going to be. Thank Wrong. you so much for, for joining us. And thank you again, Arpan, for, for taking the time out of this day. My pleasure, guys. listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel and i'm rebecca we're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say didn't see that coming and we hate the people responsible for them listen to people are the worst now on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts